it sort of drives to one of my favorite quotes, which is smart people know the right answer mm -hmm. and brilliant people ask the right questions. So I would say ask questions and they're simple questions. So here's some of the questions. And if you're a small company, I ask this of my company, medium, large. And some of the questions you want to ask is, what is our critical data? Where is that critical data located? What would be considered a really bad day if we got hacked? What would be that if you woke up in the morning and somebody came to you and said, X, Y, Z happened? Would it be if your customer data was compromised? Would it be if your servers were taken down? Would it be if you were hitting with ransomware? What would those things be? And then also go in and ask, how many times do we get attacked a day? Because every organization is being attacked and you're blocking and stopping some of the attacks. So th those questions I like because they're doing three things. Hey, it's Matt. And this is Pass the Secret Sauce. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pass the Secret Sauce. Today's guest is Eric Cole, who is the CEO and founder of Secure Anchor Consulting. So what Secure Anchor Consulting does is they actually, so Eric's background is actually in, or was with the CIA, and he started doing security for the CIA many years ago, and he since rolled all of the knowledge and experience that he learned there uh, into his Secure Anchor Consulting business. So basically what they do, they are the, the company that you call when you are wondering how security processes are being implemented in your business. So, so again, they work with small to medium-sized businesses. They will determine how vulnerable your systems are, which if you've ever gone through an attack where maybe someone has basically locked you out of all of your data, all of your, all of your systems, and they might be you know, demanding some type of a ransom to, to allow you to have access to your information again. I've actually been involved with a, a company that that exact thing happened. Basically shut the company down for a couple of days while they got this all, all sorted out. So you don't want to be in those types of situations. So what Eric's company basically does is they evaluate how your current systems are working and they give you different steps to be able to take to secure that and, and hopefully prevent the attacks that are putting your company at risk. So Eric actually taught us quite a bit in this episode. You know, you might think that security is not that interesting of a topic, but he he gave us some tips that we absolutely can use every day to help protect ourselves in our own lives. So again, very, very interesting information. And with that, I hope that you enjoy today's episode, Eric Coyle. It was interesting because it was always about how we could help my dad because I never viewed my dad as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. But he did own a garden center, a small garden center in Long Island. So a lot of the dinner conversation was, could we help my dad? Did we need to go in after school and plant flowers, do landscaping, had to go in on the weekends and stuff? So it was always sort of about what do we need to do to support the family and help each other sort of be in that state so we weren't stressed out. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you, you grew up 
you know, basically working around entrepreneurial things, entrepreneurial spirit, you know, from a very, very young age, it sounds like. When we say that, I say yes, hesitantly, because I don't think my dad ever viewed himself as an entrepreneur. Uh-huh. And neither did I, because he had a partner and his partner focused on the business and, and my dad sort of focused on the day-to-day running of the garden center. And they had one garden center and only one garden center, and they never really grew the garden center. So I guess in hindsight, he was a bit of an entrepreneur because it, he, he was responsible for his paycheck. But it wasn't in terms of like growing, selling, and acquiring. It's sort of the way that I think of it, which is all about sort of getting to that next level, the sale, and then starting it and doing it over again and building it even bigger. Yeah. Yeah. No, makes sense. Makes sense. Now, did you, did you work at the garden center all through high school and, and maybe even into college or, or did you have other interests or other, you know, businesses that you started at a young age? Through most of high school, I worked at the garden center at college. I started co-oping. So I would go in and I worked at computer associates. I worked at IBM uh, I worked at the CIA, which I ended up working for for eight years, which sort of, it was one of those interesting things that launched my career and gave me great skills, but it also taught me that I don't want to work for somebody and I don't regret working for the government, but that is definitely not my thing. So I was always a hustler mm-hmm. and always opportunities, two or three jobs, 21 credits. And, and I think that's sort of one of my secrets to success is you got to be willing to hustle. And you got to be willing to always do opportunities. But I'll tell you, as I grew, it got a little dangerous because what helped me hustle when I was in high school and college was I would always say yes, because any opportunity is a good opportunity. And I was yes, 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 yes. But I realized as as you start to grow a business and you start getting focused in on a customer and you really want to grow that product line, saying yes to everything can turn very quickly from an advantage to a disadvantage and end up being a very big distraction. Yeah, no, completely agree. Can you talk about one of the, the bigger distractions that you realized you know, in your history, something that you said yes to, but you, that you uh, can look back on now and wish that you hadn't said yes to? It was probably when I got out of the government, I was so eager to work for another startup And instead of giving my own company a chance at the time, another company came along and said, hey, why don't you be our CTO? Why don't you put all your products into us and we'll give you a small percent of the company and grow that? Well, I didn't check the management structure. I never looked at the financials. And while I thought everything was going great, I walk in one day and the owner says, hey, Eric, you're doing a great job, but we're closing the company. And the problem I had is I gave all my intellectual property oh, wow. to that company. And then that company ended up selling off the assets and basically taking everything that I had with it. So that, that sort of set me back a little bit. And that's when I really sort of learned one of my key phrases that drives me and, and drives my experience and my decision. If you're not willing to live your dreams, somebody will pay you <laughs> to build theirs, right? And and that was that mistake I made. I didn't have enough courage to believe in myself and take that chance. So I was willing for a lot less money, and it's not about the money, but for less money to go in and give all my intellectual property away to somebody else. So I I always urge people is it's not easy. I find it an amazing but struggling journey to be an entrepreneur, but the trick is you're going 
to build somebody's dreams. Mm-hmm. The question is whose, yep. and, and, and that's what always keeps me focused. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So would you say that your, your time in the CIA gave you the foundation for what you're doing right now, more, more so than any other position that you held? Yeah, so the, the CIA gave me a few things. One is, and, and I sort of joke around with people, is if you knew what I really did, you'd be a lot less impressed. But yeah. when people hear professional hacker for the CIA, that has a lot of credentials with mm-hmm. it. So th- th- that alone sort of gives me instant credibility when I go in, even though between you and me, it wasn't as cool as it sounds. <laughs> uh, the, the second thing it, it really taught me, which is an important lesson, is you do have to play nice in the sandbox with others. Whether you work at a company or whether you own your own company, you still have to have interpersonal skills. And I tend to be that type of person that's very direct and very honest, which I think is nice. That's how I like people to work with me. Don't beat around the bush. Tell me exactly how you feel. Mm -hmm. But in society, that sometimes comes across a little bit as an Mm a-hole. So I sort of learned at the CIA that you got to be careful with what you say and how you say it, because you can ask the same person three different ways. One way, they're super excited and they're going to do an amazing job. Mm -hmm. The second way, they'll do the job but they'll be angry and mad. And the third is they'll do a crappy job. Mm -hmm. And it's all just how you ask them. So those interpersonal skills are just very, very important also. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I, I, I think I'm cut from the same cloth. I'd rather just get right to the point and, you know, let's, let's move on and, and deal with whatever it is rather than, you know, kind of skirting around things. But, uh, but yeah, certainly can appreciate the ability to be able to influence others so that you can get whatever it is that, that you need done. So, so talk about your Secure Anchor Consulting. What, what is it that you guys do there exactly? Uh, so Secure Anchor Consulting, we do cybersecurity. And at a high level, my mission is to make cyberspace safe. I believe that we're living most of our lives in cyberspace, and I really want to make it a safe place to live, work, and raise a family. So we have three business lines. That's also one of my foundational rules that I learned in building businesses. I call it the three-legged stool. Mm-hmm. And it's having three different sources of income. Now, I still believe they should be aligned around the same area. But if you're reliant on a single customer or a single line of business, that can get you in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And to your question earlier, in terms of one of the mistakes, that was probably one of the other mistakes when I started one of my previous companies. 90% of the revenue was one company. And that put me in a really bad situation. So we do three things. One is we do expert witness work. So we go in and testify at high-profile trials. We help attorneys understand the technology. The second area is we do security assessments where we help organizations build out security roadmaps so they understand their threats. And then the third one is we do teaching and training, teaching people how to be chief information security officers, security professionals. And if you sort of understand the thread, they might seem like three diverse product lines, but the main artery that connects all of them is I have a passion for explaining complex topics in easy to weigh matter. So what we really focus on, how can we take a complex topic like cybersecurity and whether it's to an attorney, whether it's an executive, whether it's a chief information security officer, whether it's an engineer, how can we explain it in a way that they understand it and can make proper decisions to secure their client or their own information? That's great. That's great. And, and do you have some type of a formula or framework that you use to sort of extract that, that 
easy to describe explanation or is it is it you know basically you're sort of just taken on a case by case basis i'm always, i'm always fascinated by how people communicate and you know the more complicated things obviously are more complicated to be able to explain so if you had any tips or tricks that you've learned along the way of of sort of breaking things down so that they are understandable and digestible by others that would be uh, that'd be interesting yes yeah, so, so two tricks i learned one is analogies mm-hmm. so so I, i'm very big in analogies so recently i testified in court and there were these two different products that were completely different, but the fundamental functioning was the same. And the judge was having a hard time understanding that. So I, I asked the judge, I said, your honor, uh, do you like cars? And he goes, absolutely. I said, well, what's your favorite make and model? He goes, oh, I love Chevys. So I said, great. So you know that there's the Chevy Corvette and the Chevy Camaro. And while their body is different, if you get the SS model, it has the same exact engine. He goes, yes, I get that. I said, that's what we're talking about here. It's the same engine, even though it's a different car. And he's like, oh, I got that now. So finding some common bond that somebody understands and uses an analogy. The second one I find is I'm very big on storytelling, mm-hmm. where you tell a story because that brings people in. It gets them emotionally involved and attached to the story and the outcome, and then they can understand it. Because one of my mottos I always tell folks and I teach my staff is, if you want to be a good teacher, know your technology really well or be entertaining. But if you want to be an amazing teacher, do both. You have to entertain and teach at the same time. Because if people aren't paying attention, you could be the smartest person on the planet and they're not going to learn from you. So when you see me on stage or teaching in classrooms, I'm one of those, if I'm losing the audience, I'll do crazy things. Mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, it gets their attention, it brings them in. Like in one case, I was doing an audience and nobody was paying attention. And we're talking about fraud and the importance of being aware. So a lady was actually on her cell phone. And she wasn't aware of it. The rest of the audience was. And I basically stole her pocketbook. Now, I, I didn't go in and violate any rules, but, but like I'm going there. And I'm just talking, and I realized I'm losing the audience. So I walk over. She wasn't paying attention. I snuck up, took the pocketbook, and I'm sort of walking off like a little. And, and the audience is just cracking up. And finally, like 60 seconds later, she looks up and realizes what I'm holding. And audience cracks up, entertained. And I tell you, at that point, had the audience. And then yeah. was able to teach the rest. So you got to be able to break the ice and connect with your audience and recognize when you're not. And instead of getting mad, you need to be able to adapt and adjust very quickly to pull them in. Yeah, that's great. That's great. When you, when you started your business, did you have all three verticals already in mind that those were, that's what you were going to do? Or did you sort of expand into the other ones later? So I expanded into them. So I started off, well, I I had all the skills, but I started off with the expert witness. Mm -hmm. And I was actually doing that on the side while working at another company. And I'm always a fan of that for entrepreneurs. I I know you hear folks jump, take chances, but I'm also one of those, don't be stupid. Mm -hmm. If you have a family and kids. So I had an income source with expert witness that wasn't great, but was enough to survive and allowed me to then jump off into those other areas. I'm also one of those big folks, blue ocean opportunities, mm-hmm. where you really go in and I don't wanna compete. I don't wanna compete with you on price. I don't wanna compete with you on skill set because when you're competing against somebody else. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. 
Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. It's you're flipping a coin of whether you're going to win or lose that. But if you find a blue ocean where there's really no competition and you're delivering an amazing service, then all of a sudden you'll stand out from the crowd. And I'm also a big fan of once you own that category where I own the expert witness category on being a real world practitioner. Most expert witnesses are college professors. So I sort of own that category. So now when the competition comes in, you still own it. Like a great example is Tesla. Mm -hmm. Tesla, when they started with electric cars, it was a blue ocean. I mean, nobody was doing it. They thought Elon was crazy. If you watch the news, I think you might be, but I love him anyway. <laughs> so so, so that, that, that sort of blue ocean now, it's fairly competitive because everybody has electric cars, mm -hmm. but Tesla owns the category. They're the category king of it. So I'm really obsessed when I'm starting new business lines of always looking at two things. Is it a blue ocean where I have minimal to no competition? And then how can I own the category so when the competition comes in, we still stand above everyone else? Yeah, love it. And, and you keep referring to, to blue ocean. So blue ocean strategy, I, I'm assuming you've, you've read that and have, have gotten quite a bit of value out of that. Yes, that, that's one of mine. I love reading. I read at least a book a week. And I also have books that I read on a yearly basis. And Blue Ocean Strategy is actually one of those that I just, uh, I read every year and you always get new things out of books. So yeah, if, you're, if you're an entrepreneur, that's definitely one of those that I recommend. The other one that I talked about, Category King, mm -hmm. is Play Bigger. And that's where they talk about that. So to me, those two books together are really going to give you everything you need to identify a unique market and own that market. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love, I love hearing book rec recommendations from others that uh, are, are in similar spaces. So that's, that's fantastic. What, what's next for you? Are, you? are you looking to jump into another vertical or what would you say is the next step in your, in your evolution? The next step right now is expansion. And exit. So my current company is doing very, very well, but it's really very dependent on me. I deliver a lot of the services and I'm very actively involved in the business and I enjoy doing that. But, but now I'm sort of at that point where I want to go to that next level. I want to move from the, the seven to eight figure business. And in order to do that, I have to shift more into the owner entrepreneur and really bring on that staff and train and build. So that's really what I'm focusing on now is creating all those reproducible processes so I can train people that we can still deliver at a high enough quality and be able to grow and expand. And then where I'm looking at cybersecurity and where the market is, I believe that in three to five years, there'll be a big need for companies in the 40 to 50 mil range to get acquired. So that's, that's my goal right now is to expand, get some products, get some IP. Because right now as a consulting company, mm -hmm. I'm about a 1X 
-hmm. but you add subscription services, you do move to a two or three X and you add some products and patents and IP, you move to a five or six X. And when you go in and I, I know you know this, but for the listeners, when you look at a $30 million company, which is one X versus five X, that's 150 million that you can sell for first 30. So all of a sudden, the multiplier gets very interesting as those numbers get larger. So that's really what I'm focusing on now is how can I expand, keep the quality? And what can I do to increase the multiplier when I do want to sell in three to five years? Ah, love it. I love it. That's great. And do you, so do you have any, um, any strategies on how you're looking to make that, that next step? at all. I, I know that you mentioned that you're hiring other people and creating processes. And I think, I think the creating processes is what a lot of businesses struggle with. Have you learned anything or read in any good books on creating processes, you know, that you could maybe talk about really quickly? I've pulled a few like good strategy, bad strategy. Mm -hmm. That one has some, some tactics in there, but, but really it was from learning and experience. Mm -hmm. And the, the few things I learned is one, I need to be involved with first and second level training. So, so what I mean by that is what I'm doing right now, and I'm already moving on this, is I hire three engineers and I personally train them. Mm -hmm. So I go out in the field, I train them, I invest a lot of time and a lot of energy in training them. Then each one of those then hires three engineers and I'm still involved now they're training, but I'm still there coaching and helping them do it. And then the third time they do it, I'm, they're on their own. So it's basically I train them twice. I verify and validate. Now, not everyone passes the test, mm -hmm. but then I let them do that. So I'm very active. The other thing is I'm very big on ownership. If you don't own something, then it gets very confusing. Mm -hmm. So if you have a process or with our customer and multiple people think they own that customer, it can get very confusing and the ball get dropped. So I'm very clear on, okay, up until this point, marketing owns the customer. Mm -hmm. Then when they hand it off to sales, my sales team owns the customer. And once we ink the deal, then it handed off to the engineer and they own it. So at any point in time, I can go to somebody and hold them responsible and ask, where is the status? Why did or did this not get done? And then the last thing is metrics. All my team is all metric-driven, metric-based. Every week, I go in and I look at the metrics. And I know it sounds simple, but if you do the metrics correctly, this is, if it's increasing, it's good. If it's flat, it's bad. And if it's declining, I actively get involved. Yeah. So we have a lot of different metrics on our conversions. So I know if we look at security assessments, if I go in and I do a webinar, we should get approximately 30 phone calls out of that. From those 30 phone calls, we should be getting 10 interested people. And from those 10 interested people, we should close four of those deals. So if I'm going to look at the metrics and we only got 30 people or we only closed two deals, I want to know why. I, I want to constantly know why. So I'm empowering people to do their job, but I have metrics along the way that I'm tracking. So as soon as something goes off, my team knows I'm going to ask them why, and they either need to have an answer or be ready to talk about it. Got it. Got it. You obviously work with a, a lot of different types of companies. Who, what type of company would you say is most at risk for any type of cyber attack 
at all? Uh, is there is there a certain type or a certain size company that that seems to be more of a focus than others? So if we're talking general, I would say yes to all of those. What we focus on, where we find there's the biggest need, are companies that I call small to medium. So these are organizations anywhere from 100 mil to 600 mil, it could even go up to a bill. And typically these companies have an IT department of five to six people. They maybe have somebody who's part-time security, mm -hmm. but they don't have a dedicated security person. And they tend to think we're not big enough for anyone to target us. We're not one of the huge companies like a Target or a Microsoft or a Tesla or a government entity that's going to target us. So therefore, we don't have to worry about security. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that adversaries often go after because they're big enough to have enough records and enough IP, but small enough not to have their own dedicated security team. So that's sort of our sweet spot that we find those are the ones that tend to let their guard down. And we've built up ways that we can really implement effective roadmaps to help them focus on security without draining the bank and costing too much money. And, and is there any type of a how can I phrase this? Kind of a, I guess, a internal audit, if you will, that that someone who might be listening to this says, you know, what we're in that that price range. Is there anything that they can sort of look at and see if they're doing, or you know, maybe is there something that they can look to see if they have in place so that they know whether or not they should reach out to you, or or any any tips there to to sort of determine how bad of a situation you know, one of those types of companies might find themselves in? Yeah, the big thing that I push in it, it sort of drives to one of my favorite quotes, which is smart people know the right answer mm -hmm. and brilliant people ask the right questions. So I would say ask questions and they're simple questions. So here's some of the questions. And if you're a small company, I ask this of my company, medium, large. And some of the questions you want to ask is, what is our critical data? Where is that critical data located? what would be considered a really bad day if we got hacked? What would be that if you woke up in the morning and somebody came to you and said, X, Y, Z happened? Would it be if your customer data was compromised? Would it be if your servers were taken down? Would it be if you were hitting with ransomware? What would those things be? And then also go in and ask, how many times do we get attacked a day? because every organization is being attacked and you're blocking and stopping some of the attacks. So th those questions I like because they're doing three things. They're letting you understand what the threats are, helping you focus in what are the real threats to our business. They're letting you see what the risks are, what is our critical data and exposure, and then they're helping you think about, okay, do we even know what our vulnerabilities are mm -hmm. and do we know how to fix them? And that's really where we can help out. So if, if you have no clue of any of those, great. If you're one of those, oh no, we know the threats, we know our critical data and we are fixing the vulnerabilities, then you probably don't need our assistance. But I would just say, be careful because those are few and far between. And it's easy to say, we have our security in place without actually asking the questions. So ask the hard questions. And then here's one of my other favorite quotes, let data drive decisions and not emotions. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I see that's probably the biggest mistake that I've made as an entrepreneur and I see clients make is they let emotions get involved. We're not going to be a target. No one's going to come after us. You're over-exaggerating. This is not a big deal. That's all emotion. Give me the data. Let's go and look at the data and let the data drive the decision of whether you're a target or not.
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And you had mentioned, you know, how many times are we being attacked a minute ago? Are there thresholds where you are sort of a low a low priority based on your number of attacks, medium, high? Is there is that the way that you would sort of look at that? So it's two things. One is it's raising visibility. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people I talk to, small, medium, even some large companies, and I say, how often are you being attacked? Like, we're not being attacked. So if you're a real small company, just go and look at your antivirus software that you have on your endpoint computer. Mm-hmm. Everybody should be running antivirus software. And I bet you if you ran a 45-day report, you would be shocked. Yeah. You'll probably have, my guess is, uh, with the current time we're living in now, you probably over a 45-day period on your home computer or work computer, you probably had 20 to 25 attacks that that software automatically stopped and blocked without you even realizing it. Mm-hmm. That raises your awareness that you are being targeted. If you're a larger company that has an enterprise where you have firewalls, just go in and ask your team to tell you how many blocked attacks your firewall had. That's going to tell you how many attempted attacks you have. And it's really just the visibility because even some of these big executives we work with, I'm like, how many times do you think you get attacked a day? You know, like two or three times. And we run the report and it's two to 3,000. Wow. And they're totally shocked. And now it's a completely different perspective on what we need to do and what we need to spend when those numbers are 3,000 instead of two to three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. What are some of the ways that when, when people get hacked, what are some of the things that can happen to their, to their business? I, you, mentioned, you mentioned ransomware. Um, can you get into exactly what what might happen if someone is hacked or a company is Uh, hacked? Absolutely. So if you're going to be hacked, there's really two targets. It's either a user or a server. And if they're going after the user, 99.99999% of the time, it's going to be a phishing scam. It's going to be an email that looks legitimate, seems legitimate, and they open the attachment or click on the link. The second situation is going to be an ad on social media or when you're surfing the web that that looks like, oh, I need hand sanitizer and you click on the link and get scammed or a server is typically going to be if the software is not up to date and not patched. Mm -hmm. Now, if it does happen, it's all about your data. So one aspect is confidentiality where they steal critical information. So this is where for individuals, they can do identity theft and open up credit or take money or fraudulent credit cards on your behalf for large companies. It's stealing their customer database, stealing their financial database, or stealing intellectual property that they might have. The other big one on availability is ransomware. That's where an attacker will encrypt all of your data. And unless you pay ransom, and it could be anywhere from $200 for a small company to $20,000, you won't get your data back. Mm -hmm. So if you notice the impact of all the attacks is based on your data. That's why we always take data-centric approach to security. What is your data? Where is it located? How are you backing it up? And how are you protecting it? Got it, got it. And there's always the conversation of Mac versus PC. Mac supposedly has better virus protection. Is that true or is that not true? It's true and it's not true. So let me explain. Mac and Windows are complex operating systems and both have vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Our company tracks the number of vulnerabilities for the last seven years and they're within 1% of each other. So Mac is not any more secure 
than Windows in terms of pure play vulnerabilities. However, the big difference is 90% of the world is running a Windows operating system mm -hmm. and about 5% is running a Mac. So if you're an attacker and you're gonna go in and create malware, you're gonna write it for the most popular operating system that's out there. So for example, since the epidemic started, we've seen the phishing attacks focused on COVID-19 increased by 300%. Wow. And 100% of the malware, and we've looked at 400, my team might correct me, but I think it's 417 samples of malware. 100% of it runs on Windows. So my advice that I tell people is, if you're checking email, surfing the web, those are the two most dangerous applications on the planet, mm -hmm. is use a non-Windows-based system. Mm -hmm. Most people don't realize, but elderly folks, people over 65, are one of the most targeted groups by adversaries because they don't know technology. They're looking for money and they usually have a pretty good amount of savings, so they're gonna be targeted. Mm -hmm. What I recommend for your aunt, your uncles, your parents is buy them either tablets or iPhones because those are simpler technology. Most of the malware doesn't run on it and they're gonna be much safer. With my own business, the way I do it is every morning and twice a day when I check email, I always check it on my phone first I do a validation check, and if it passes the validation check, then and only then do I open it up on my Windows system. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you do the validation check? Is that with the check key, or, or, or is that just for files? Uh, so I just open it up. So if I get an email that looks suspicious, it says, hey, Dr. Cole, can you take a look at this? Well, that could be phishing. That could be a legitimate customer. So on my phone, I'm actually going to open the attachment. Got it. If the attachment actually opens up and it's a Word document, and it actually is valid proposal and it's legitimate it's from that company, I say, okay, that's good. And I leave it in my inbox. But if I open it and it's garbage or I get an error or something like that because it's Windows malware that won't run on my iPhone or iPad, I then just go in and delete it and then it never makes it to my Windows computer. Interesting. That's a, that's a great, I like that strategy. I haven't, haven't heard of that one before. That's great. It's a simple but very effective one, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So, so Eric, if someone wanted to learn more about you, your, your company, uh, your services, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? If they want to find out about cybersecurity in my company, I recommend them go to secure-anchor.com secure-anchor.com. We have a lot of information, a lot of resources, videos, and other details, eBooks on there. If you just want to find out more about me, my thoughts on entrepreneur and things like that, I would say follow me on any social media platform. And that's Dr. Eric Cole, D-R-E-R-I-C-C-O-L-E. -E. And the main ones, of course, are Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Excellent. I appreciate it. This is fantastic. I, I learned a couple of nuggets here today, Eric. So thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And that's great news because my rule is you always want to teach one person something new a day so I can check that box. Well, yeah, so you, got, you. <laughs> you got it checked off. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. Have a good one. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.